Um, we're uh, today, uh, we finished uh, the, story, the life of Elijah and Elisha uh, last week. We actually kind of finished that uh, quicker than I thought we might finish it. Um, I thought we had three more, would have three more weeks left, but we, we don't. So I'm going to take these three weeks and kind of uh, talk to you about um, who we are as a church. We haven't done this in a very long time as far as like who is City Press, what do we exist for, why are we here? And so uh, that's what we're going to do. And so this series is called, it's just three weeks, it's called Faithful Presence, which is like our basic tagline. Um, if you didn't know it, we exist to be a faithful presence of the love of Jesus in the absences of our city. Now it goes on, there's a little bit more to that, but I want to stick right there with that. Because I think that if we're straight with one another, it is difficult for us to be present. Like even right now, like as I'm talking to you and like this is a one-way conversation, but it is a conversation. And even now, it there's things vying for your attention that keep you, like, that send you elsewhere. I remember as a kid, like, one of the things I would do in church is I would think about, I, I went to this, like, it was a big building, and I would think during this time, like, where I could hide if we played hide-and-go-seek in this building. And then, then I'd start counting the ceiling tiles like we have. Like, there's, there's things that, like, keep us from being present. Uh, I remember when we took Jed to Grove City College, the coach there, uh, we were doing a visit, and he was being recruited. And um, the coach there uh, said one of the themes that they had for the season before is to be where your feet are. And that, like, that stuck with me because, like, we had already been in a church that said faithful presence is our deal. And yet, I think I found myself, like, I'm not really that present. Like, when I walk in the room, like, like, I have, like, chronic anxiety that's vibing for me to, like, be the person that needs to be, have something to say, to be the leader. I can't just be human-sized Justin. I have to be bigger than human-sized Justin. And that keeps me from being present. And I, I'm sitting there, and he's talking about this. Now, this was several years ago, but I was like, man, that's, a, that, that's something I need to, that's a mantra that I really need to imbibe into my life. And in fact, when I went on sabbatical, that was one of the themes. I took pictures wherever I went of my feet to remember, to remind myself to be where my feet are, to be present. What things make it hard for you, even now, to be present? Because presence is the heart of, of what it means to be a human. And it's at the heart of the, the Bible. From creation to salvation, the story of the Bible is fundamentally a story about presence. Remember in Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, our, our first parents, sin turned a people meant for presence into a people of absence. Remember how it happened. They would walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, we could speculate what that looked like and what that was. But at the heart, it was presence. God present to them. They present to God. And what happens when sin enters the picture? 
they run. They hide. Like there's this whole thing where God is searching for them. God knowing where they are, by the way, but searching for them because they are the ones that are running and in hiding from the presence of God. We're naked. We're ashamed. Who told you? Right? Absence. God is a God who pursues us to be present to us. So even in sin, right, the story moves along. God finds his people suffering under the weight of slavery in Egypt. He follows them in the desert, is present to them through tabernacle and temple and like smoke and fire. God is showing them that he is their God and he is present to them. And as you fast forward to Jesus, what is the name of Jesus? What is, what is it? Jesus will be called Emmanuel which means God is with us, present to us. Jesus calls himself the temple. The the place where God would meet with his people is through Jesus. It's a story of presence. And at least one of the aims of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension is to bring us back to God. So the church then, our very nature of who we are as the people of God, the body of Christ, is we are to be a consummation of what? Presence. Of the reality that God dwells with humanity. Of the reality of the coming of Jesus to heal the gap between man and God. We're to be that picture of that. How are we doing? When you think about being present to the people in this room. How are we doing? So what I want to kind of peel back during these, we're going to be in, the, in John chapter 4 over these three weeks, but what I'm going to peel back for us is what does it mean for us to be a faithful presence of the love of God? And it means these things, pursuing, identifying, offering life through sacrificial love. Jesus does this. Like, he pursues, he identifies, he offers life to us through his very own sacrificial giving. Um, In John chapter 4, when we show up on the scene here, Jesus is traveling with his disciples through Samaria. Now remember, we just got done with kings, and we spent all that time in Samaria. Samaria is the kingdom in the north. Remember, in some ways it was cut off from the temple, cut off from the very presence of God. And and the man of God, the prophet of God, becomes that presence for the people in the north. And yet, the people want more. So they create their own temple in Dan and Bethel. They erect golden calves, false places, false places of God's presence. When you and I experience absence, when people aren't present, When we aren't present, when life is empty or broken or like Richard described in the confession where you are suffering, what do you do? One of the marks of the days of Ahab and Jezebel was, man, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to create our own like syncretized kind of religion, a, a mixing of the Canaanite gods and our God, Yahweh. We're, we're going to intermarry with the Canaanites. 
and meld our faith and our traditions and our cultures. Now, we are not going to get into all that, but God said in this season of the life of Israel, they were not to do that. But they did it. And the lingering effects of Samaria, right, that they create a kind of a new people. And, and the Jews, during the time of Jesus, viewed the Samarians, Samaritans as outsiders. They don't worship at the temple. They worship somewhere else. There's all this history of them basically creating a different faith. And Jesus takes a detour to go to Samaria. The very fact that he is here among these outsider people shows the pursuing nature of God. Jesus is the faithful presence of God. Where? Even Samaria. A place that the Jew would have thought would have been absent of God. He pursues even there. When he gets to the town, the disciples, uh, they, they, they leave to get something to eat. And Jesus is weary, thirsty. It's lunchtime, noon. The heat of the day is upon them. So he, he goes to a well. Now, let's stop there. I want you to see how present Jesus is. Now, we're going to read this text here in just a second. But I want you to see how present Jesus is here in this moment. His identification in his humanity with this woman and consequently to us. His humanity does what? It brings him to a well because he's thirsty. And he will get anything he can out of this excursion to this particular well. Like I remember uh, when I was a kid, this was in the days before um, like Hydro Flask and Yetis and Stanley Cups, right? We, uh, we used to play at this park and it was kind of far from my house like, this was even, like, really, like, to be honest, before the days of, like, plastic water bottles. That's how old I am. Um, and so, like, how are you going to get water in the heat of the day playing with your friends when you were away from your house? Well, there's several, there's a few different ways, but what, I, what we did, me and my friends, is we got down on our hands and knees, we found a sprinkler head, and we sucked the water out of the sprinklers. Now, this is why, y'all, just so you know for your kids' sake, this is why I don't get sick that much. (laughs) Jesus, like, there's this moment in his humanity that he is thirsty. He could have done anything as God to quench his thirst. But he intentionally in pursuit of this woman, to be present to this woman, to be present to this Samaritan woman, this outsider woman, this heathen heretic woman, goes to the well to draw, have water drawn for him because he's thirsty. He needs help. He doesn't have a jar. He doesn't have a water bottle or a Yeti cup or anything else. And this solitary woman arrives to draw water from the well. Listen to what he says. Will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman says to him, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
And then John puts this in parentheses, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, see the outsider-insider aspect of this story. Recognize the absence, right? The space between. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. When was the last time you were in a, a place where you felt a clear demarcation between you and them? What did that absence, that gulf, feel like for you in that moment? And I bet it felt awkward. I bet it caused a lot of, like, things to come up. Like, I bet you probably wanted to make some of it's. You're either one of two people. You, you either, like, busy and scurry about to fix the gulf, so you feel less awkward, so... Maybe you get like Chandler Bing, you get more talkative and you tell awkward jokes, right? Like to fix the golf that you feel. Or, or, or maybe you get more, more and more quiet. Like you become a wallflower, even more of a wallflower than you already are. And you just feel the weight of the difference, the space, the absence. This is what, what sin does to us. It it creates this gulf between us and other people. It creates a gulf between us and God. It actually creates a gulf even between us and our own self. It creates a gulf between us and creation. We are in all these places where there is absence, and we feel that absence. And what what Jesus is doing here, he wants you to know that Jesus cuts through the space between. And he's present. And what marks it for us? Well, first, pursuit, right? He is here in Samaria. He's unafraid of whatever the cultural norms and situations are demanding of him. He's not anxious about violating those cultural norms. He identifies with the outsider. He too thirsts. He too needs a well. He too needs a jar. He is incarnate here in this place, thirsty, needing help in this moment here to offer life to this woman. And we're going to talk about offering life next week, but here, listen to what Jesus says. He, Jesus answered her, if, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, now Jesus here is moving the conversation along. He is pursuing this woman. He is going to offer life to this woman. We're going to talk about the living water next week. But, sir, the woman said, you have have nothing to draw with. Like, Like, you don't have a jar. How are you going to offer me water? Where can you get this living water? Are are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. 
and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go, go, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is, is quite true. Sir, sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. And let's stop there. Like the first striking feature of this is Jesus' initiation with this woman. And she's shocked. I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. They're enemies. They're Samaritans for the Jew are heretics. They're thought to be racially inferior, some sort of half-blood. And so the woman is shocked by Jesus in her pursuit of her. In fact, the disciples will come back later, and they will be equally shocked that Jesus is having this, this conversation with this woman. And it isn't just shocking, but it's scandalous. Like, these are the things that whispers and gossip is made of. Did, 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 you, did you see them talking? Can you believe it? It's what makes for, like, canceling in our world. Like, like think about how, how we've become so divided in this moment that to even associate in some way with someone in whatever divisions we have would, would cause those people who are part of your tribe to shut you out, to make you an outsider. And I want you also to see that that this is a woman. And in Jesus' day, it's, it was far easier for a woman to be absent, to be forgotten. I want you to think about ways to be absent. What are some of the ways that we experience and perpetuate absence instead of presence? Like one I just described, it's our tribalism, right? Tribalism is the absence of what? Of, of unconditional love and pursuit. When, when we set ourselves up in tribes, we, we create an absence between the other. And that's what's really happening in this text, by the way, between the Samaritans and the Jews, the gulf that exists between them. We, we do the same thing. It happens in your family. Think about your own family right now. Right now, what kind of like tribal separations exist in your very own families? Your churches? Your way of life? We, we go to people who are like us, and we are present only to them. We pursue only them. And for anyone that is on the other side of that, our tribe, we are absent to them. God calls, like just after the, the king's bit in the Bible, right? The people are taken to Babylon. The Jews, God's people are taken to Babylon. And they're called to move in, to be present even amongst the people 
who have marched them off away from their territory and homeland. They are called to be present, to to have jobs, to, to marry, to exist for the blessing of their captives, to pursue that far. Not to be defensive against, not to be isolated from, not to be absorbed into that culture, but to be faithfully present within it. Maintaining their distinctiveness as a community, but serving the common good for all of them. Second way we're absent is what I just mentioned there, assimilation, where where we become absorbed into the other in such a way for the church, for the Christian, that we lose our distinctiveness as God's people. If you move into the city and you use the city for your benefit, you find yourself very quickly assimilating to whatever the city uh, requires for you to receive said benefits, right? There's an absence there. Cynicism is the absence of hope. Where we look around at our communities, families, networks, cities, and we're hopeless that it won't get better. It's the attitude of Jonah towards the Ninevites. Resignation is the absence of compassion. It is the attitude of whatever, man. Like, that's a very big New Mexican thing, by the way, is to, to look at things and just say, whatever. It, it, it's, it's not cynicism, it's, it's resignation. And it's the absence of compassion. We also do this with sentimentality. We, we become resigned in our sentimentality towards the world or, or our neighbor. It's absent. It's not presence. When we're resigned to think that our families, communities, churches will always be a certain way, they can't get better. When we resign ourselves to like whatever, we aren't being present. We're actually being absent. Two more. Escapism is the absence of place. We we do this when we get nostalgic about some other place or some other time. Like some of you move to this city and you feel the weight of this. You opine for where you used to be. This place can be hard. And you start thinking about, man, it used to be better. Or old timers, you start to think about a better period, time in history. Oh man, it used to be so good back in back in the day, my dad says. Absence of actually being in a place. The last one's I think the best one for you. It's busyness. And that's the the absence of time and providence where you take providence upon yourself and you busy yourself to do everything. You're, you're almost like Voldemort. 
you split your presence, or you think you can. Like you actually think that you can be in two places at once. This is what my wife will tell me. Danette will tell me, like, she can, I'm talking to her, and she's doing something else, and she's, and I'm like, are you listening to me? And she'll recite back to me word for word exactly what I said, and I can't do that at all. But that doesn't necessarily mean she was present to me, and that's you and I. We have so many things, so many activities, that actually all of our activities are just a way for you and I to stop, to not be present. Like, let's just be honest. Like, we busy ourselves so we don't have to be present. And maybe it's the gnawing weight of the anxious heart that you feel to stop down, to pause, to take a minute, would cause you to... So you just keep on going, and you keep your kids on going, and you keep the rest of your family on going, and you don't stop. Or maybe you just think, man, the next vacation... I'm going to, I'm going to be, it's going to be good. I'll finally find rest. And you're absent in real time. There's one more. It's perfection. And this is the absence of truth or messiness. Like the church struggles with that. They become this nice guy church that real sinners, like, Justin and I were talking about this before the service. Like people, like when, I don't know, how would you say this? When, like people think like when Jesus like shows up, like it's, it's all good, but everything's fixed. But actually when Jesus shows up, that's when it all, the wreck and mess kind of begins. Perfection keeps us from being present to the, messiness and the vulnerability and the truth of life. There's, there's, there's lots of ways for you and I to be absent. And yet, the Jesus, the Christ, the, the King that we follow is the embodiment of presence. And I think that's the most important thing about our passage. Remember, John is showing us in his gospel how Jesus is the Word who's the eternal word of God, the eternal wisdom of God, the one that was there in the beginning with God, how that one is made flesh. How how the one who existed from all eternity became human. And we run past this, the incarnation, because we've heard it. And John in wonder is saying, he's tabernacling with us. pursuing us into all the absences of our own making, all the ways we fail to be present to each other. And this one is God. How far will God go in his pursuit? How how far will he go? He's going to put humanity on, flesh and blood. He's going to limit himself to a place, to a people. So he might bring us to God. And so John will have all these encounters through his gospel illustrating what Jesus' enfleshment looks like and means for us. And at the core, at the core, Jesus' incarnation is presence into our absences. It's pursuit of us. And this is the heart of 
like our mission here at City Press. It's faithful presence is incarnation where, where the love of Christ becomes flesh to us, then in us, in our relationships with others, in our relationship with our community, the tasks that we are given to do in the world, our spheres of influence, our vocation, our neighborhoods, our very present, our mission is to put skin on it and be a faithful presence of Jesus. And when we do that, absence gives way to presence. Now think about this in our narrative. The woman at the well, she's an outsider. In this place and time, she's also a woman. And Jesus pursues her, identifies with her in her, her, her humanity. And his pursuit doesn't stop there. The, 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 the women came to draw water, comes to draw water when at noon. Most biblical scholars say this is not the ordinary time when women come to draw water. Why? They come early in the cool of the day. They come to gather the water for all the things that are happening before them in the day. They often come together in community. And this woman comes at noon and she comes alone. And most think she's, she's not just a Samaritan woman, but even as a Samaritan woman, she is an outcast among her own, marginalized within her village. And what does Jesus do? Into all those absences, he pursues. You see, part of being a faithful presence of love, of the love of God, is reaching across almost all the significant barriers that we put between ourselves and others. Right? There's, there's the racial barrier. There's the... And, and let me just make a note here. Like to discount race altogether as important to just say, hey, we're all one is a way of being absent to someone of a different race. Like that's a way to create more of a barrier, to not understand and respect someone from wherever their ethnicity is and whatever the cultural things of that ethnicity is, is to create a barrier to also just like hate, to separate all the things we know is not what God's people are to do is also a barrier. Jesus is going across that barrier. He's going across the cultural barrier. How do cultures act and think and do things? There is a, a big span gulf between Samaritans and Jews. There's a gender barrier, especially in this season and time between men and women. There's the religious bar barrier, which we'll talk about in the next couple weeks. And there's the moral barrier. Whatever her moral failing that he knows about, that he gently prods her about, he's crossing even that one. Think, think about it for yourself. If, if you've been a Christian a long time and you've, you've developed relationships with just the church and you think about like someone who you meet who is not there how big of a barrier do you feel Jesus crosses it friends what causes you and I to be absent to not pursue chances are it's all of those things 
this woman suffers from absence, the the soul-sucking vacuum of absence, broken relationships, misguided worship, loneliness, alienation. What about you? Where are you experiencing right now absence? Perhaps it's right in the person you sit next to. This soul-crushing weight of absence between you and your spouse. Where are you experiencing absence? All those things I talked about earlier. What about our community and our city? The, the broken institutions and broken relationships and broken families, the unmet needs or the, the wrong needs being met in the wrong way. Absence. But when the people of God move in receiving the call of love, embodying that love, and bearing that love in the world, that love has skin on it and presence and absence. Absence gives way to presence. I want to end with this idea about Jesus. I've said this this many long ago, but I don't know if you've heard the term that Jesus is the hound of heaven. <clears throat> we, uh, we have this dog named Nugget, Chicken Nugget. It's a golden retriever. He looks like a chicken nugget. Like We call him Nugs. And um, so here's the thing about Nugget. Like if, if he's like absent-minded professor most of the time. Right? Like he's like the dog in, uh, in Up, right? Squirrel! Squirrel! Like whenever he sees something outside, like he's chasing it. But when I take a ball, anybody takes a ball. Like he knows where the balls are, and whenever we go close to that jar with the balls in it, he is locked. Right? And then we take that thing outside, and now he doesn't always see the ball, just so you know. Like, he's not perfect in his locked-innedness. Like, we have another dog named Witten, and that's kind of where he takes advantage because he's, like, short, stocky to the ground, and he, he sees the ball every time. Like, like, Jesus is, like, with you and I, he is fixed, man. He's fixed. If you need another illustration, like, I'll give you two from uh, movies, which obviously, but I think about Daniel Day-Lewis as Hawkeye in The Last of Mohicans. He's speaking to Cora, the woman that he loves, and he, he, he's gonna, they're getting separated, and he says, you stay alive. Now, he does this in an English accent, by the way, even though he's a Mohican. <laughs> you stay alive no matter, and he's a great actor, so I'm not necessarily, like, but... He does just kind of say it in an English accent. You stay alive. No matter how, what occurs, I will find you. No matter how long it takes, no matter how far, I will find you. Or maybe Liam Neeson from Taken, but not vindictive, redemptive, right? I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. I don't know if you're looking for a ransom, but I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have I have a very particular set of skills, skills that I've acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I won't look for you. I won't pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you, and I will find you. See, Jesus is the hound of heaven, 
Hunter Thompson, or uh, last guy, the guy's name is Thompson, not Hunter Thompson. He wrote a poem that this is where this title comes from. Listen to it. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I, I fled him down the labyrinth of ways of my mo- own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under, under running laughter, up visted hopes I sped and shot and precipitated a down titanic glooms of chasmed fears. What does absence do to you and I? It sets us on the run like this woman in the middle of the day running to the well so she doesn't see anybody else. We run and we run and we run. From those, Thompson goes on, from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace. If that doesn't describe Jesus in John chapter 4, unhurried, unperturbed, Deliberate speed, majestic uh, instancy. He, He comes at noon deliberately. His pursuit will land on the target. They beat and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. And that will lead us into next week, the offer of life. But but what causes our absence? All the things that betray us. I think of Augustine, our restless hearts searching on the run to fill up our absences, that God-shaped hole. Maybe that's you this morning. What you need to know is Jesus pursues you because he loves you. Thompson goes on, fear wist not to evade as love wist to pursue. Think about this woman's fears. They could not stop Jesus' love. Still with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, came on the following feet, and a voice above their beat, not shelters thee who wilt not shelter me. There's the Liam Neeson, the, the Psalm 139. There's nowhere I can flee from your presence, God. And the poem ends, I am he who thou seekest, thou dravest love from thee who dravest me. Thompson, he studied to be a priest, but he didn't finish. Absence. He studied medicine, dropped out. Absence. He he joined the military, only to be let go the very next day absence. Eventually, he finds himself on the streets of London, addicted to opium. Absence. All those absences he attempted to fill, all while running from the faithful presence of God, but God is the hound of heaven. He pursues with an unhurried chase. He's he's unperturbed by all our excuses, all our failures, all our like theological conundrums, which we'll talk about next week, and all our questions. With deliberate speed, he pursues us, even while we attempt to drive him away. This is what the woman does when she, she tries to distract Jesus with all these questions. 
when she avoids Jesus' confrontation about her many husbands. She's trying to drive him away. But in the end, absence gives way to presence, just like Thompson. When at the end of the poem, he remembers his life, all the pain, all the loneliness, all the loss, all those broken relationships, and the loving hand of God, while he's pushing that hand away, finds the target. What about you? Where are you running this morning? What, what absences are setting you on the run? The unhurried chase of Jesus is here this morning, locked Locked on each of you. He is the hound of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we, I thank you that you've pursued me relentlessly. Even while I'm running away. even while I'm attempting to go my own way. If not for your gracious presence and your pursuit, I would today be in a place of a wasted and discarded life. So I pray this morning that you would meet all of us here in that place in the place of absence, and that your presence would meet us. Deliver us. Save us. Launch us on a mission of being the faithful presence of you in this place. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.